Welcome to the High Praises Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. I am so happy to be in High Praises Church, and I am so proud of Pastor Chris and Leah Sistar and their leadership team, and so proud of every one of you. Uh, we appreciate them more than we can say. I'm so glad that Anderson, South Carolina has a dynamic, growing, missional, spirit-filled church like High Praises. I'm so thankful for that. And um, in, a, in a nation where the English-speaking churches seem to be in decline, it's so refreshing to see how God is using High Praises and you continue to grow and you continue to be such a life-giving and dynamic ministry in this entire county and region. We're so thankful for that. Um, so happy that Karen is uh, with me today. Besides being uh, my wonderful wife of 36 years and best friend, a great mother, a great nanny to our grandchildren, she's also a minister of the gospel. I'm so proud of her ministry and life. Some of you may know that a few years ago, uh, we got permission from our boss and Bristol, Tennessee, and our boss in Cleveland, Tennessee. I've got various bosses because we do various things in, in the world of missions. And we moved to Minnesota. And, uh, you know, I had always heard that there are places in the U.S. that are missions fields, and we discovered that that's true. And during our time in Minnesota, we moved up there to be close to our, at that time, our only grandchild, uh, little Liam. Some of you might remember Tyler, our oldest daughter, uh, she married uh, Omer Abramovich, and they took jobs in Minnesota. So we moved up there, and we were able to be with them uh, for three years and really, really loved that. And then our ungrateful children up and left us <laughs> in the cold, frozen tundra of Minnesota and moved to Southern California. And, uh, you know, during that time in Minnesota, uh, Karen actually pastored two churches. And so we're... So thankful for her and her ministry, and we uh, we we counted a joy to be here at High Praises. When when our kids moved to Minnesota, we said I meant uh, to California. We said, okay, California is a nice place to visit. We'll see y'all later. We're going back to Tennessee. So we're currently living in Tennessee, uh, Kingsport, and um, we're we're starting a brand new program this summer for some of our high school age orphans. Uh, one of the jobs that we do in ministry is uh, I serve as president of Serving Orphans Worldwide, and uh, we assist struggling orphanages around the world. I think we're helping 80 orphanages at the present time around the world with their monthly operational budget. Um, you know, people get excited about building a building and starting an orphanage in another country, but they don't get excited about helping pay the monthly bills. So our agency helps to bring awareness to the church and we serve as a delivery system so that people can help uh, pay the operational budgets of these homes so that they can keep their doors open and provide a quality life and Christian education for about 8,000 orphan children. So in, with some of our uh, high school age children, we're going to bring them to Kingsport to live with us in a mission house. You know, we're too old to do this. We don't need to be raising teenagers again, but in just a few weeks we'll have a house full of uh, high schoolers, five of them, as a matter of fact, two from Honduras, two from India, and one from Ukraine, and uh, we'll be helping them 
do their high school and later their technical college training here in the U.S. So we're staying busy, but we're so thankful to be involved in the work of God's mission. Um, I want to say something, too, about Pastor Chris and Leah's parents. I know that uh, Brother Sistar passed away during a time when we were still in Minnesota. We were not able to come for his homegoing celebration. But I just wanted to say a word about this great man of God, David Sistar. You know, when I was in college, <clears throat> you know, the, the Sistar family began to impact my family when they were serving as youth and Christian education director here in South Carolina. I remember Brother David Sistar, such a brilliant and committed man, and uh, his entire family, his wife and entire family. And uh, he produced a book, and I'll never forget which described, it took all the major doctrinal themes of the Bible and theological themes of the Bible, and he put it all in a book, and he, he defined each of those concepts, doctrines, uh, theologies in a way that I could understand it. And I can't think of a single resource that I've ever... could not explain happening it was like a counterculture shock and it was you know it was part of our early missionary experience to try to reconcile the differences between living in a place like Anderson South Carolina and then living and working in in a majority world country such as Honduras and David Sistar he dropped a piece of wisdom into my heart that I have never forgotten to this day and I often referred to it as I speak to young missionaries today that look to me for guidance. And he said, you know, you feel like you need to go into a decompression chamber, right? When you go from this world into that world and vice versa. And I said, exactly. It's like a decompression chamber that, that is needed. And he said, you know what the difference is between places like America and, and other countries in the majority world? And he described it like this. He said, now you remember from school Maslow's Pyramid of Human Needs. I said, yeah, I remember that. Psychology 101. He said, yeah. He said, just think of it like this. In America, that pyramid is upside down. In the majority world, that pyramid is still right side up. And I want to tell you that piece of golden wisdom, it's been like a, it's been like a treasure to me because it has helped me so very much understand the world that we live in and the world that we minister in in a cross-cultural context. So I have, I have David Sistar and his teachings in my heart forever, and I just wanted to take a minute and honor him. And then Jim and Rachel Talley. You know, Karen and I were under the missionary support system for the first 15 years of our missionary journey. That basically means the missionaries raised their own budget. And uh, <clears throat> Karen and I were doing a job in Honduras churches to shore up support, to get new support. Um, so we were dependent on that missionary support program, volunteer offerings, 
to, to be able to stay and work in the country of Honduras for 15 years. And Jim and Rachel were serving as missions representatives for Church of God World Missions, and that couple took it upon themselves to look after Karen and me and our family. They literally kept us on the field. We, didn't, we could not leave our post. I was serving as a pilot for a jungle hospital, and I could not leave that post because you cannot, you cannot tell emergencies when to happen. They're going to happen whenever they want to happen. And they needed the airplane there for the hospital, so because of our inability to come back and forth at our pleasure, Jim and Rachel looked after us, and they made sure that we had everything we needed for that 15-year period. Pastor Sistar, I will never forget your parents. Your parents are a treasure to me, as well as you and Leah. So we're so happy to be here. We have such a flood of wonderful memories and uh, experiences that we're remembering as we're able to come back and, and be with you all today. Pastor Chris mentioned that just a few weeks ago, we received a very large, very significant missions offering from High Praises, and I wanted to come and give you a report about what God is doing through you. Amen? Is that okay? So, I want to talk to you today about the work with unreached people groups. Um, if you think about the spiritual condition of the world today, this is one way that I could describe it. Um, if you, if you take the entire world population uh, that could be represented by nine... As a matter of fact, I, why don't I get some of these lovely young people up here to help me for a second? I need nine volunteers to run up here and help me right now. Please, from this section right over here, I need nine volunteers. Come and help me, young people. You're going to help preach this message today. There we go. One, two. I need seven more. Three, four, five... Where are you? I need four more. Come on, come on. I need four more. I'm going to have to start calling names. There you go. Six, seven, and two more, two more. What about this young man right here? Eight, number eight, right here. Yes, yes, you are chosen. One, two, three, four. I need one more. One more. Is that... There you go, there you go. That's, that's great. All right, we've got, we've got uh, nine people. So think of it, think about the condition of the world in this way. These nine people represent the world population, which I think is just over eight million right now. So out of these nine people, how many would you say are Christian if this represents the world population? All right, there's two. We're getting close. Somebody said four. Three. Three. Okay, so the first three are Christian. You first three guys, raise your, your, raise your hand. You're a Christian. All right. Praise God for the Christians. Okay. Now the next question is this. Of the Christians, how many are born again? How many are ready to meet God? One. That's the reality. Okay. So out of nine people in the earth, one is ready to meet God. The other eight are not ready to meet God. And so this is the challenge of Christian missions, to evangelize these eight people, to prepare them to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's coming soon. Amen? So out of these eight, now remember, these are equally lost. They're equally lost. and They're equally important to God. Uh, so out of these eight people, 
how many of them live in what we would refer to as Christianized people groups? In other words, they have, they have access to a, to a viable church. They have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of these eight uh, people that are lost, how many of them are, are in Christianized? Okay. 50%. 50%. That's exactly right. 50% of the lost people in the world today, these first four, they are our neighbors. They are our friends. They are lost people, many of whom live within the sound of the church bell. All right? These are four lost people that need God. They're without God and without hope in the world. They need God desperately. That's why you need churches like High Praises. You've got to go for your neighbors. You've got to go for your family members. You can't neglect that. The Holy Spirit was given, us, given to us to be witnesses in both Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Amen? So when we talk about the mission of God, we're not talking about neglecting your neighbors. But we also want to think about the other four lost people who live in people groups where there is little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, this is where our mission strategy becomes very important. The Lord has given us everything we need to evangelize this world, but He wants us to come together, to pray together, to think together, and to come up with the right strategy so that both our neighbors and friends who live in Christianized places can be saved and also those that lived among the unreached people groups of the world. Uh, interesting thing, too, um, you know, our... How many of you are spirit-filled? How many of you identify with Pentecost? Okay? Let me tell you something. In a, in a culture that is a fundamentalist culture, all right? I'm a Carolina boy, so I'm talking about my own people here. We live in a fundamentalist culture, right? Okay? I could name names, but that's as far as I'm going to go. Uh, our theology is not just fundamentalist theology plus the gifts of the Spirit. All right? We are not fundamentalists who speak in tongues. Our theology is very distinct. The theology of Pentecost is very distinct. The theology of Pentecost says, not only are we going to reach these four, which are our neighbors, but we're going to be obedient to the Word of God. We're going to be collaborators with God in His mission, and we're going to reach these unreached people as well. We're going to cover all the bases. And that really is at the heart of our, our Pentecostal theology. Let's give a big hand to our nine volunteers. We appreciate you guys. Thank you for your help. Let me tell you what your gift is doing. First of all, your gift provided a full one-year budget, not for one, but for two missionaries to the country of Turkey. Two full-time missionaries were provided for and where did these missionaries come from? Of all places, they came from the country of Mongolia. We have a great missionary couple that are in Mongolia. And uh, they have been discipling these young people for years. They are professors at a university in Mongolia. Now get this. These missionaries do not have the freedom to openly preach in Mongolia. Only the Mongolian ministers have that freedom but they are teaching at a seminary that is training these young people to become missionaries. 
And not only that, but they bring them into their home and they, they live out what I call the Jesus model. They actually live with these young people for three to four years in their home so that they can transfer the life of Christ to them and uh, make of them effective missionaries. So your gift has provided a full one-year budget, not for one, but for two young people from Mongolia who are now in Turkey evangelizing unreached people groups in Turkey. Not only that, but your gift also provided for one meal a day, one meal a day for a full year for a group of 400 children in South Sudan who are also attending a Christian school. They'll be taking that one meal a day provided by high praises for 365 days, 400 children. And these kids are from an unreached people group. That's what you're doing. Not only that, but your, your gift has provided for Christian workers. I'm talking about church planters. Church planters in North India and in the country of Nepal. And that's what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes as we go through this UPG presentation. Just so that we can kind of define some terms and all be on the same page in regards to this ministry. All right, let's, let's take a look and see what we have. More than 6,639 groups of people have never heard of Jesus in a way that they can understand. These are called unreached people groups. Now, what is a people group? A people group is a community of persons through which communication can flow without any barrier. So, uh, there are basically four different criteria which categorize people into a people group. Number one is ethnicity. Ethnicity. Uh, when the Bible talks about nations, it is speaking primarily about ethnicity. When, the, when, the Bible, when God talks about loving the nations and that the gospel of, of salvation is for all nations, he's talking about primarily all the different ethnicities in the world. And there are, I believe, about 10,000 different ethnicities in the world. Uh, I, this, this number is always moving, so it's kind of a dynamic number. But... In the world today, there are probably 195, 197 uh, geopolitical countries. So when the Bible talks about nations, it's not talking about a geopolitical country. It's talking about ethnicities primarily. So there are about 10,000 ethnicities in the world today. Amen? God is the creator of all of them. God is the creator of all of us, and he loves us equally. He loves us the same. And then in addition to ethnicity, you talk about the language of the people. If you add language as a criteria for defining people group, then you've got an ethno-linguistic group. There are 12,500 ethno-linguistic groups in the world. All right? And then you add cultural tradition. When you add cultural tradition, which includes their spirituality and their religious beliefs, that number jumps up to about 16,000 people groups in the world. And then you add location. Where do these people live? That's the fourth criteria for defining a people group. That number jumps up to about 23,500 uh, people groups in the world. But from the point of view of missions, when we talk about people groups, we're, we're normally talking about ethno-linguistic groups. In other words, we talk about their ethnicity and their language. This is how we categorize the people groups of the world. So there are 12,500 Ethno-linguistic people groups in the world today, 6,600 of them have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that they can understand. 
You know what I say about that? Unacceptable. Unacceptable. This is the challenge of Christian missions today. To finish the task of the Great Commission. To get the gospel to every one of these people groups. So that they will have at least the opportunity to say yes or no to Jesus. Amen. A great pastor in Canada, I think his name was Chambers. Was it Oswald Chambers who said, no one deserves to hear the gospel twice until everybody's heard it once. You know, that resonates with with a guy that grew up in the Bible Belt. As a matter of fact, people ask me how I got involved in, in missions, and I simply tell them, I read the Bible. And so God is serious about the Great Commission. Let's take a look at what's next. God always finishes what he starts. God is very serious, very serious, when he said, go and make disciples of all nations. God ain't playing. Amen? That's one of the primary reasons the church exists, is to go into the world and make disciples. Once again, we are not talking about neglecting 50% of the lost people in the world that live in Christianized places such as Anderson, South Carolina. Probably that number, probably one out of three Andersonians and folks in Williamson, Greenville County, probably one out of three are ready to meet the Lord, I I would hope, or at least one out of three attend church. So our numbers are probably around there. We can't neglect those people. We can't neglect our neighbors and our family members, our our lost loved ones, but neither can we neglect those that are waiting to hear the gospel for the first time. Jesus himself declared on the cross, it is finished. Jesus finished what he started. And then he handed to us the baton. He handed to us the mission of God on this earth. And he told his disciples to fulfill the Great Commission. And that's what we're here for today. Finishing the Great Commission means the church going into the entire world preaching the gospel to all people, making disciples of all nations, and putting the gospel within reach of every people, group, language, and tribe and nation. It means making available to everyone, everywhere, the opportunity to accept or reject the gospel. This this is what uh, missions is about. More than at any time in the world, finishing the Great Commission is within within our grasp. We have these resources And these major changes in the world that contribute to that fact. Current world events, technology, a new army of missionaries, and a united body. You know, finishing the Great Commission is something that brings all of our churches together. It's a unifying force. As a matter of fact, I think that there are three primary things that that maintain unity within the body of Christ. Number one is is doctrinal uh, truth. Doctrinal truth. And how many of you know that doctrine is still important? You know, it's very important. Uh, You know, there's a lot of movements going on in the world today. Karen and I happened upon a a certain celebration in downtown Greenville yesterday. It was a surprise. We just walked into it. And, uh, you know, that had to do with with what this month is celebrating. And, uh, you know, and and even there was was a denominational group there uh, represented among all of the booths that is celebrating uh, a non-biblical lifestyle, an unacceptable lifestyle according to Scripture. There was a major denominational group there represented, embracing people and talking about the love of Jesus. But, you know, 
Doctrine is still important. The love of Jesus without the commands of Jesus is not the love of Jesus. Amen. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And Jesus gave us 49 commandments. It would be an interesting Bible study to look up those 49 commandments of Jesus. And that really teaches us how to live. But this is something that brings the church together. Our biblical doctrine, our leadership, apostolic leadership. You know, you find your strongest and your healthiest churches where you have apostolic leadership. And I know that High Praises has that. And it's a wonderful thing to see. And then thirdly, the focus on fulfilling the mission of God. These are three major forces that, that maintain unity and promote unity in the local body. Sound doctrine, apostolic leadership, that is the fact that everybody has authority as believers, right? But also everybody's under authority. That's a biblical principle. That's apostolic leadership. And I see that happening in this congregation. And then finally, a focus on fulfilling the mission of God. We are encouraging churches everywhere to adopt people groups. And actually, you know, we can get this work done one people group at a time. And our, the strategy that we've discovered on the field is we follow the relational trail to where these unreached people groups live. Karen and I have the privilege, one of our jobs and missions is to serve as coordinator for unreached people group ministries around the world. The majority of unreached people groups in the world are found in the region of South Asia, which is India and the surrounding countries. And so we also happen to be superintendent for that region, so this, this work overlaps. And the way we made contact with these people groups is that we simply follow the relational trail. You know, God did not give us an impossible task. He gave us a task that is very doable. He gave us a mission that is very doable. And we can do this in this generation. I believe that with all of my heart. Just by walking the relational trail and, and discovering the people that God puts in, in your path. And that's what we did in 2014. Brother Hill challenged me to follow Roland Vaughn as the coordinator of Unreached People Group Ministries. And uh, he challenged us to find and engage 250 new people groups in five years. And I told him to his face, I said, you've either heard from God or you've lost your mind. Because as a missionary, I've been following... I've been following our history as a world missions movement in regards to ministry to unreached people groups. Did you know that it took us 20 years, 20 years and a lot of money to find and engage on some level 74 unreached people groups? And then he tells me, I want 250 new engagements in five years. That sounds impossible to me. You know, my jaw hit the ground. I said, man, you're setting me up for failure. What are you doing? But then I went home and I did something that I do from time to time. I prayed. And God said, just bring together some friends. Call, call up some friends. He said, bring together some friends and start to pray together and start to think together. So we did that. And after, after four years, I must tell you, we did not find and engage 250 new unreached people groups. We found 
and we engaged 1,400 new unreached people groups. Just by following the relational trail. You know, relationships are vital in the kingdom of God. Amen? How does any ministry operate? Number one, what's in the driver's seat? The mission and vision of God. The mission and vision given by God has to be in the driver's seat. That comes above every other thing. And then good relationships. Good relationships. Good teamwork. Working with people. Working through people. And then you come up with the strategies and programs. And then you come up with the resources to do the work. So we put this principle into practice. As a matter of fact, in your missions giving, you are touching... I'm going to venture a guess. Now, I, I have all of this in my worksheets. I can verify what I'm saying, but I'm going to venture a guess and tell you that with your gift by supporting church planters in North India and Nepal, you are touching more than 200 unreached people groups. You're basically providing a one-year support for those church planters in ministering to more than 200 unreached people groups during this next 12 months. That is significant. That is fulfilling the mission of God. Amen? And by the way, I would invite any of you to come and visit us and to, uh, to have some intentional ministerial exchange between um, ministry here at High Praises and missions on the field. Uh, this is at one missions conference that I attended uh, with an unreached people group in central India. And... Uh, you know, I know that we're live streaming and I have to, have to be a little bit generic with some of these descriptions because some of our people on the field can be uh, targeted for persecution. A lot of that is going on right now. But uh, after several years of ministering to this one particular group in central India, this, is, this, this uh, lady is from the Maratha people group. Now, do the mathematics on this. The Maratha... Maratha, they're one of the 6,600 unreached people groups, all right? Just one of the 6,600. The Maratha people group consists of 60 million people. Same ethno-linguistic group. 60 million of them. And we know of about 15,000 believers among all 60 million. So you do the math on that and tell me what percentage of them are ready to meet God. But there uh, was a ministry effort uh, focusing on the Maratha people group. And I was privileged to be at this baptism service to see this lady give her testimony and then to confirm the salvation that she had experienced in water baptism. And uh, this, is, this is another example in Africa, the, and, uh, the Selale Oromo people that Pastor Heinrich Schertz has been working with for many years. Uh, this is another example of ministry to unreached people groups. And when the missionaries visited these folk for the initial ministry and discipleship and baptism, there were, uh, I think, two churches that had been planted by that time. The next time the missionaries were able to visit them, they had multiplied and had about 20 churches. So this is another success story about ministry to unreached people groups and that becomes self-propagating. This is another young lady from central India. I remember hearing her testimony. She said, just before she went into the water, she said, please pray for us. Before we left our homes to come to this conference, our neighbors threatened to burn our farms 
These are agriculturalists. 70% of people in India still live from the land. And this, is, this particular people group is a, is a farming people group. And so the neighbors had threatened to burn their farms and also to cut them off from the water source. And not only that, they had to go to the municipality and they had to give two months' salary, equivalent two, two months' salary, to pay for a certificate that says that no one has coerced them to convert to Christianity. Can you imagine paying two months of your salary to be baptized and to become a member of the church? These people pay a great price, and they, they put everything on the line for Christ. This is up in North India, and the missionary that is down in the well, we, we are literally in a private residence. We're hidden. We're hidden behind a house having a baptismal service. Some, some new converts had come from bapt for baptism, and in this particular state in North India, it is a five-year automatic prison term if you are caught doing this kind of stuff. They literally have anti-conversion laws in place. And so the missionary who had come from South India, and if you all know the history of Christianity in India, you know that uh, probably the Apostle Thomas was the first to evangelize South India during the first century. And by church tradition, he was also martyred in South India. But Christianity has been there a long time in South India. So there are tens of millions of Christians in South India. As a matter of fact, Church of God has 1,500 churches in South India. Isn't that amazing? And I get to participate with them. I get to preach at their conventions. They have like 15,000 people come to their, to their conventions. And I have the honor and the privilege of being able to participate with the incredible church ministries in South India. But North India is the world's largest missions field. There are 2,200 of these 6,600 unreached people groups just in North India. So this, this missionary had come from South India 20 years before. You know, he came and he wasn't on anybody's radar. No one knew about him. No one was supporting him. Uh, in Spanish we say, he was trabajando con las uñas. He was working with his fingernails. No budget, no income, no assistance from anywhere he was just up there doing the work of the ministry. His wife is a nurse, and his wife was working in a local hospital supporting the family while this dedicated missionary from South India was doing ministry among about 15 unreached people groups in North India in the state of Rajasthan. So uh, I was introduced to him by Roland Vaughn. We went to see him, and uh, we were in some activities, and we were visiting house churches together with him. And uh, we were able to witness firsthand what happens when people have the opportunity to meet Jesus Christ. They're open. They're happy to know God. They're happy to receive the true living God. But their systems, the system which they live in, prevents them many times from, hear from hearing the gospel of Christ. So as we came to this baptismal event, you can go to the next one. I think it's also a picture of another person. Uh, the missionary looks at me and says, Brother Ken, I don't have credentials, so I want you to baptize these new converts. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, God's man of power and faith, five years in prison? <laughs> then I did this. I said, I authorize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost to baptize these new converts. Actually, they, they would not do anything to me, but they would put him under death threat if he was caught. 
So this, this minister has now worked faithfully for almost 30 years. Interestingly, I got, I got Central America involved in supporting this man. They supported him very strongly for about six years. And because of their support, he was able to plant 55 established churches. Isn't that amazing? Among unreached people groups. Unreached people groups. I was with him in India, North India, just a couple of weeks ago. And then later Karen joined me in South India. We had a retreat for the overseers and their spouses in South India. So they're still working. As a matter of fact, the, the work among unreached people groups has grown so much that administratively we're having to organize five brand new territories in North India just to accommodate the growth of the church. Isn't that amazing? God is doing it. God is doing it. There's still an unfinished work to be done. I was, I was visiting uh, this one particular village. Let's go to the next one. I was visiting one particular um, large community. And when we talk about a village in India, you're talking about minimum 5,000 people, probably 10,000 and up. And I'm, th those are just the villages. You know, India is now the, most, the world's most populous nation on the planet. So we went to this one particular place. It's another people group. And uh, I was taken to this temple, and uh, this is the idol of that particular village. Now, if you, if you see closely, you can see that there are two figures in this statue. One is a male figure with many arms standing on top of a female figure. Ladies, how many of you are thankful for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? How many of you are thankful? I know that I am. No one in history has done more to elevate the value and the social status of women and children like the Lord Jesus Christ. In the majority world, this is not the case. This is not the case. Uh, the women live in total oppression. And in this particular village, uh, parents raise their young girls. Go to the next one. They raise their young girls to go into the cities um, to do immoral things and send the money back to the village. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be careful with my language because we have a mixed congregation here. And they're, they're raised for that purpose, <clears throat> to do immoral things, because for them it's not a matter of morality or immorality. It's a matter of karma. It's what they were born to do. It's how they make a living. So they don't see any moral problem with this in the world of karma. And, and this missionary, and we're visiting, we're visiting many, many house churches at this point. I'm going all over the state of Rajasthan with him and uh, visiting and, and getting to know firsthand the work that he's doing. And um, they, they started giving English classes in this particular village. And the priest of that temple opened the door for classes to be given on the roof of the temple. So we're sitting on, on the roof of the temple of this demonic idol giving classes to their children in English. And what is the textbook for English? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the English that they're being taught. They're being taught the Scripture. And they're learning songs. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. And these are, this is the English that these young people are being taught. And guess who joined the class? 
the priest of the temple. And so this is, this is called an entry strategy. You cannot show up in these villages with your Bible and with your suit and preach on the street corner. That will come to a conclusion very, very quickly. So what we have to do in these closed areas is pray for an entry strategy. In English, many times, teaching the English language and helping children, many times, is the entry strategy that is used to bring the Word of God to a people group. And that is what has happened. And, and house churches have been established in this community because of that. I'll, I'll show you one more picture of these, these young people. You know, the enemy has had a plan for these young girls. And, uh, but God has another plan. God has come to give them a hope and a future. So this glorious gospel is for everybody. Look at these beautiful young people. This gospel is for them just like it's for our own children. This is why we must be fervent. We must be committed to get this gospel to the unreached people groups of the world. Are you willing? Are you willing to take a chance? Are you willing to pray for people that you may not ever meet except in eternity? Are you willing to give to ministries you may not ever know about except in eternity? This is about fulfilling the mission of God. What is your place in reaching the unreached? We have human resources, we have financial resources, we have technological resources, we have spiritual power, and we have a unified church. We cannot fail. You know, the Lord has given us all the resources that we need to fulfill His great commission. There are people that are still waiting. I want to show you some things from the neighboring country of Nepal. This is a group of uh, young people in our church in Nepal. And one of the, uh, one of the entry strategies there, it's also an unreached uh, nation made up of many, many different people groups. Let's go to the next one. One of their entry strategies is um, teaching young ladies how to sew. And their strategy, strategy is this. They will invite 50% Christian young girls and 50% unbelievers. And they'll put them in class together. And as they go through their training course, of course they become friends and they begin to talk. And they begin to share the cares of their life. And so the, these young ladies share Jesus with them and that's how they come to the Lord. We have a vibrant work, a very vibrant work going on in Nepal. We've been able to see... Uh, strategies like this produce 50 established churches in Nepal. This is at a nearby temple right outside the city of Kathmandu among the Newa people. This is their temple. And at this post, they still do sacrifices, blood sacrifices. Most of the time, it is the sacrifice of animals. And there is an official there. They go through their ritual. They go through their ceremony. And he drinks the blood of these sacrifices. And this is an interesting fact. I came right after this happened. Every 12 years, they do a human sacrifice. Now, obviously, this is illegal. But this is such a big and powerful people group in the country of Nepal, the government literally turns its back, looks the other way, and allows them to do this. And guess who the candidates are for the human sacrifice? They're priests. So how many of you would like to be a priest of this people group? Those are the people that you can see um, these groups are highly organized. They operate just like any uh, faith community would operate. They have a calendar of events. And what we're looking at right now is the calendar from, from that particular temple. They have a calendar of events. 
And you'll notice on the left-hand side, there is a person that is dressed in a mask. Notice that person. He is the temple official that actually drinks the blood during that godless ceremony of the human sacrifice. Well, something happened to that young man. He, he was touched by one of our local ministers who focuses on the Newa people. And guess what happened to him? He came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you can tell by the color of my hair, this was a few years ago. But every time I go back to Nepal, I try to find this young man. I've had tea with him many times over the years and listening to his testimony about how Christ raised him up out of spiritual darkness and has established him as a worker in the church. This is a representative of a Bible school. We, we were just able to start a residential Bible school program in Nepal. This is a brand new program. And if you know something about church growth and development, you'll know that wherever in the world we have been able to establish a, an effective Bible school program, you have tremendous growth and development of the church. So we worked for several years to come up with a property, to build a building, and now as of this year, they're finishing their first year of residential Bible school program. We're so thrilled about that. This is a group of pastors in West Nepal, and this group of pastors has a goal that in the next 10 years, they're going to plant a church group, a prayer group, a prayer cell in every single community among the Thadu people group. Now you can go on JoshuaNet, joshuaproject.net and you can look up the Tharu people T-H-A-R-U you will find that there are hundreds and hundreds of communities that are made up of these Tharu people our church leaders in West Nepal are focusing on every single one of those, those communities so that in the next 10 years every one of those 400 communities will have a, a Christian witness they also do holistic ministry, which includes agriculture, raising fish and other small animals for agricultural uh, purposes. We also do a lot of children's ministry. This is another uh, uh, strategic entry, entry strategy for reaching unreached people groups. We, we're involved in 80 orphanages around the world. This is a group of children that are being taken care of by one of our pastors, Pastor Hadihar in West Nepal. So this is just one of 80 groups of children. I had this picture of a young lady here because <clears throat> she is from a people group called Brahman. They're one of the farming clans of the Brahman people group. And she came to know the Lord and immediately her husband put her out, divorced her, put her out, ran her away from her home. So this lady for several years now lives in the corner of a very, very small church building. When we went to visit that church and minister in that church, she was there to serve us as guests, and she never stopped smiling. That's why I wanted to show you this picture, because of that incredible smile. This woman lives under oppression, persecution. Uh, she has been isolated from her family. She's been cut off from her family. She has nowhere to go but that small church, but she's full of the joy of the Lord. And so this is the attitude of the peoples around the world that are meeting Christ for the first time. It's one last story. This is a water buffalo. Now, I am personal friends with this water buffalo. If you all have visited South Asia, you will discover that, <clears throat> you know, you can't eat the cow. The cow is sacred, right? Can't kill the cow. But poor old water buffalo, you can kill him and eat him anytime you want. 
not sacred. So the buffalo serves a very important purpose in this particular state of North India. Not only do they provide meat, but they also provide milk. Those of you that are agriculturalists, you'll be surprised to know that water buffalo give more milk than a Holstein cow. Now, if you're a Clemson person, you know, that'll be significant. They are tremendous milk givers. So they, they provide a very important source of income for farming families and also a source of milk. And also they're work animals. They can pull a plow through the rice paddy. So they are a three-purpose animal, very important to these families. And I said all that, all that to say this. This buffalo one day got sick. And so they took it to the vet, spent all their money on the vet. The vet couldn't help it. So then they took it to the local guru, spent money with the guru at the temple, couldn't help it. And then they did what a lot of Christians do. When they're out of money and when they have no other resort, they call the preacher. Yeah, that's what we do, isn't it, as a last resort. So they called the missionary, this missionary from South India that I just told you about. He came and what did he do? He prayed for the buffalo. What happened to the buffalo? Got healed. I drank milk from this buffalo. That's my personal connection with this animal. But here's the amazing thing. Because of a miracle, we call this power evangelism. Power evangelism. When people see the manifestation of God's power, they accept Jesus. This is the phenomenon that we see among the unreached people groups of the world. The man of this house got saved. And when the man of the house gets saved, the entire family comes to Christ. That's the way it works. They all follow the man of the house. He planted a church on the top of his house. They have a cement roof like most of the people in that region. And from that church plant, 10 other church planters have been raised up. So this is just a small example that demonstrates all we've got to do to finish the Great Commission is to give these folks an opportunity. They quickly and they rapidly and they joyfully receive the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to be lifted. They want to be saved. But they don't know how. And they don't know whom can save them. So they're waiting. And this is our opportunity. And this is our mandate. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.